Father, we just invite your spirit to be here and speak with us. Thank you that you are moving us to look again into the book of Acts and the lessons we can learn. We praise you and thank you for what you want to reveal. And Lord, we pray that we would be with David in his prayer, open my eyes that I might see wondrous things. So Father, we pray that tonight and ask that your spirit would do his work in us. And we give you much glory and honor in Yeshua's mighty name. Amen. Amen. It's good to be back. Though I was back last week, although I wasn't quite sure that I was here Shabbat. Uh, we are uh, planning to begin a series in the Book of Acts. Um, I'm sure everybody here has read at least parts of the Book of Acts more than once. Um, Acts is described as either the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but as as I was reading it, what rereading it, what jumped out at me is the fact that we typically cannot relate to the Book of Acts. I mean, think about it. Why? Well, when was the last time? Uh, you walked and your shadow fell on people and they were instantly healed. Mine? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and, and you read, you read over and over and over again these absolutely incredible miracles. And you say, this is wonderful. It's, it's spectacular. Thank you, God. Uh, and then, and then you say, "But Lord, I'm over here." Um, and so, part of what I felt led to do, um, as we go through Acts, is not so much talk about the spectacular things, and they're there, um, but rather sort of do a uh, um, a, a bio. Uh, stories of different individuals in the book of Acts and learn about them and see how God used those pots of clay to do all kinds of amazing things. Um, and the reason for that is I, I have a stronger and stronger conviction as I look around society today that we live in a whacked out world. That is getting more and more whacked out and less and less godly. And we as believers can take a fairly uh, either a passive attitude that says, I don't want to see it, or a defensive attitude that says, I'm going to, me and my buddies are going to be in, in a circle of wagons, or else offensive attitude where we engage and duke with people. Um, and I keep coming back to Scripture in, in Romans 6 where it says that where sin is great, that the grace of God is even greater. Uh, in other words, where there's stuff, where there's wackiness, where there's sin, defilement, that uh, then that's where we need... You may enter at your... Why does say that? Bad. Watch out for the mind. 
it seems to me that that's where we really need to be tuned in to the fact that God is alive and well and active and is able to do, um, as Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 3.20, he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or even imagine. In other words, if it needs to happen, it needs to happen now. Uh, again, the issue is for us when we look at, at what takes place in Acts, it's, it's hard for us because it's on such a heavenly plane uh, coming to terms with how does it relate to us. Uh, I'm not Peter, I'm certainly not Paul. Uh, and so I, I felt led to start with someone that we don't normally think about. So let me ask you. How many teachings or sermons have you heard about Philip? Minimal. 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 Very minimal. Somewhere between one to one point zero. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And and as I as I read the story of Philip, uh, I was amazed. I was amazed. There are all kinds of things about this guy uh, who starts out. I mean, what I think most people know is that he was involved in the schlepping ministry. You know, he was a shamash, <laughs> a deacon. And, and so we assumed that he was a dude who was involved in, in the money, collecting money, giving out food, etc., etc. And a story. Well, the answer is no. Uh, yes and no. Um, Philip did that, of course, but there's so much that was going on in his life and I felt to really understand him, we need to go back into the gospel accounts. So I hope your fingers are nimble tonight, because we'll be doing a fair amount of flipping. Um, but to understand Philip in the book of Acts, we need to understand Philip in the gospel accounts. So first of all, um, what kind of name is Philip? International. International. Okay, you've been caging. <laughs> International includes Hebrew, so that doesn't help much. Greek. Greek. Thank you, Michael. Um, so, he was a Hellenistic Jew, okay, which will tell us something about his background. So, first of all, uh, Let's look at John, first of all. John chapter 1, and, and read that, um, that story there. John chapter 1, and then we'll... Let's see, where is it? Yeah, John chapter 1, verse... Uh, let me find it here real quick. 43 to 48. I think that's correct. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, Lord, would you read those verses? Okay. Oh. Uh, the next day, Yeshua decided to go to the Galilee. He finds Philip and says to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethesda, Bethesda, the same town as Andrew and Peter. 
Philip finds Nathanael and tells him, we've found the one that Moses in the Torah and also the prophets wrote about, Yeshua of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, Nathanael answered, can anything good come from there? Philip said to him, come and see. Yeshua saw Nathanael coming toward him. He said, look, a true Israelite, there's nothing false in him. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Yeshua answered, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Okay. Um, what we don't see here that that uh, we'll see when when we look at Matthew, uh, as Yeshua calls him. Now, this guy was a working man, uh, probably a fisherman. Bethsaida is um, uh, was a place that was mixed. There were Jews and Greeks, and by the way, uh, Galilee was called, uh, at least in, in, in one of the prophets, was called the Galilee of the nations, the Gentiles. Why? Because there were intermittent villages of Jews and Greeks. Uh, and, and I think, I assume you know, that Yeshua and the disciples spoke at least some Greek, uh, not only Hebrew, uh, uh, Aramaic, uh, they knew Hebrew uh, well enough to understand what was going on in the synagogue, but they also knew Greek because they had to have business with with the merchants and so on and so forth. So, um, and and part of the picture is that even in Israel you had Hellenistic Jews, Jews who came who had a pretty significant uh, uh, background. Uh, in in Greek language, Greek thinking, and so on. We don't know all the details about that, but um, we know that um, Philip was a working man. We'll, we know that Yeshua said to him, come follow me, and he comes. You know, what really stood out to me here in John uh, was Philip's statement. Um, in verse verse 43, um, Yeshua says, "Follow me," and he doesn't he doesn't argue, doesn't engage. Well, on one hand, on the other hand, no. <laughs> he not only follows Yeshua, but he does what a good, what a satisfied customer does, and that is. Yeah, talk to somebody else about how good uh, what they found. Um, and Philip says, in verse, uh, look at verse 45. We have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and in the prophets. Uh, excuse me, and about whom the prophets also wrote. Now, what does that tell you about Philip? He knew the scriptures. He, he knew the scriptures. He knew the scriptures. And, you know, you, you know that, that Jewish children, male children particularly, uh, grew up and they went to synagogue. They heard the Torah. Uh, they heard the prophets read. How did Philip know that the 
prophets, the, the, the Torah and the prophets spoke about Yeshua. Unless he's Jewish too. Well, okay, he was Jewish. Do you find anybody else in the Gospels that makes a similar kind of statement? No. What does Peter say about Yeshua? Matthew 16? Messiah. Messiah, you are the son of the living God. But that was revealed. Very good. That was revealed by the Spirit of God to Peter directly. It's like a download. Yeah, that wasn't what he thought. Okay. Philip, on the other hand, has read, has, has heard the Torah and the Prophets all these years. And for him, he knows, A, the Messiah, and B, he knows that Yeshua is the Messiah. Now, we don't know how long of, of a discussion he and Yeshua had. I don't believe it was sufficient for Yeshua to have a Bible study with him and say, let me tell you, which is what, what Yeshua did with the disciples in Emmaus, he, where he, on the road, he explained to them, etc., etc. Don't you find it amazing that this guy knows Scripture well enough, knows about the Messiah, and made the connection between Yeshua and the Messiah as revealed in Scripture? Well, okay, I'm the only one who's... Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Can I ask a question? Yes, sir. At this point in uh, John, is he filled with the Spirit? Is who filled with the Spirit? Uh, no. Uh, because this is the beginning of Yeshua's ministry. And so it's not after Acts. Yeah, but, but, but look... What was the Holy Spirit in the Bahamas at that point? <laughs> no, he's, he's on he's on the hot seat. Well, no, I was just I I didn't know the time frame well enough to know if he had in the upper room had he received the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will reveal. Okay, again, and make light of what he was taught. Draw yourself a note, brother. Haggai chapter 2, verse 5. Okay, where Haggai says to the people of, uh, to the people of Judah, uh, God is with you and His Spirit, you may enter. Uh, Haggai says to the people of Judah, get off your butts. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is here with you as, it, as He has been from the time you left Egypt. So the Holy Spirit was active, active with the people of Israel, um, and in terms of answering your specific question, uh, this is the beginning of Yeshua's ministry. The upper room and when Yeshua said, was three years later. Okay. All right, Judy. I'm going to make a bold statement, but the Jews of the, in, the, in this time period knew the scriptures, and they recognized who he was. Many thousands of Jews got saved. So it wasn't like they had no clue. They actually were waiting for the Messiah, and they knew the scriptures. And when they heard about him, they recognized who he was. Respectfully... 
I disagree with you. Because, yes, uh, our people were waiting for the Messiah. What kind of Messiah were they waiting for? Conquering king. Yeah, but still thousands got saved. Thousands got saved after the Spirit of God came and, and you had you had the um, uh, the Pharisees, you had you had the priests, you had a ton of them coming to the kingdom. Um, but at this point, I don't see any evidence of, of any of our people saying, wow, I studied uh, Moses, I studied the prophets, and, and this is who Messiah was. No, and, and that is why, by the way, uh, why Yeshua never refers to himself as the Messiah. He, the, his, his term of choice is the Son of Man. And the only time he refers to himself as a Messiah is when people put him on the spot and say, Are you the Messiah? In fact, the Samaritan woman says, Are you the Messiah? What, what, what was his response? You say so. Uh, the same thing with the uh, high priest in the Sanhedrin. Um, so, people's understanding of Messiah was certainly not in the Isaiah 53 kind of kind of a... Uh, Why would they recognize Son of Man from the prophecy in Daniel? Uh, maybe. Uh, my point, Judy, is we really don't see much evidence in the Gospels uh, for, for Jewish people understanding, having clarity. Now, the, 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 hang on, uh, Mary. There's a guy who wrote a book uh, a rabbinic scholar uh, by the name of Daniel Boyarn who wrote a book in which he says that Jewish people in the first century some Jewish people believed that Messiah would be uh, would, would be divine because of Daniel chapter 7 um, all I'm saying Judy is to some extent I think you're arguing from silence no I'm not well, that's I, another story, so just go on. No, 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 no. Legitimate question, Judy. I'd love to see the evidence. Well, I took a class at Denver Seminary, and the professor there has two PhDs. He's Jewish, and he talked about, and he had evidence to back it up, how the Jewish people at the time knew the scriptures backwards and forwards. And he quoted something, I think it was Josephus, but I'd have to go through my notes again to, because I'm not 100% sure on who it was. But they, he's, this quote said that the, the from the children they knew the scriptures from um, childhood Genesis to uh, Zerubbabel, which is the last book in not Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, but um, anyway, it indicated that they knew the scriptures from beginning to end. And Chronicles. You know, it, it doesn't matter. It's it's a term that meant for like the Tanakh, the 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 order of the books in the Tanakh. Okay. And he was saying that um, that you know they didn't have they didn't have Bibles. Right. And most families couldn't afford scrolls. So they were taught and they were smarter than we are. They knew all those languages and they and they knew the scriptures. And he talked about the time that they came that Yeshua was born and how it was a perfect time because um, they because of you know the 
the stuff in Daniel, all the prophecies and the times that were sort of prophesied that when he would come, and they were they were they recognized him because now, granted, they did expect somebody to be a political savior to them because they were under oppression from the Romans; they were suffering. But so that comes into play too. But there were many people that followed him. He it wasn't just the disciples; it wasn't just the twelve. There were you, many others that followed him. You, you you're making a couple of separate points. Yes, there were thousands and thousands of people who followed Yeshua. In fact, they traveled hundreds of miles. Why did they do that? They do that because here is a guy who is able to heal them. And they're hurting. They're demon-possessed and, and crippled and, and so on and so forth. So yes, thousands of people. However, one, one explicit uh, example we find in Scripture on this subject is Yeshua and the disciples to Emmaus says to them, you slow of heart, don't you guys get that this is what Moses and the prophets... In other words, they didn't. They did not. Which is why he had to go through and show them this is what Moses and prophets had to say. So, uh, and the truth is, uh, we can engage with Mr. Uh, two PhDs in another time. It was pretty um, convincing. Huh? It was pretty convincing. Well, good. I would, like I said, I would love to see the uh, scriptural and, and other evidence besides Josephus. And yes, our people uh, grew up uh, hearing uh, uh, the Torah and the prophets over and over again. Um, I find it hard to believe that, that the majority of Jewish people really understood uh, who Messiah was the way Yeshua and his disciples understood who Messiah was. So let's let's divert from here. All that to say, I find Philip to be unusual. Let, let me put it that way. He's unusual for a number of reasons. Um, he is motivated. He goes and finds Nathaniel. Um, and first of all, Yeshua tells him, follow me. He drops everything. He comes and follows him. Um, I don't know about you. I find that pretty, pretty significant, pretty amazing, actually. Um, so um, we also know. Uh, so he, in a sense, he was the first evangelist uh, because he follows Yeshua. He goes gets somebody else. Um, he was also one of Yeshua's key disciples. Um, for example, when there was a crowd to feed, who does Yeshua talk to? He, well, he, obviously he talked to the, to the, to to Peter, James, and John. Those are the, the main, but also to Philip. Um, and Philip um, was also interesting in, in that he was, he was practically practically minded. Look at uh, John chapter fourteen. And uh, verses 8 and 9. Connie, you look like you were getting there. I'm getting there. I can't see very good. Just verses 8 and 9? Yes, ma'am. Philip said to him, Master, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. 
Yeshua said to him, Have I been with you for so long a time, and you haven't come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Why don't you back up to one verse there, uh, Connie? Six or seven? Yeah. Okay. Yeshua said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you have come to know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do not know him and have seen what? You do know him. You do know him. I'm sorry, I don't have my reading glasses. That's, you fine. do know him and have seen him. Okay. Um, now, especially in John, you find over and over and over and over again, Yeshua talking about him and the Father. Um, I and the Father are one, etc., etc. So, Yeshua saying to him, Hello, do you not get uh, what I've been talking about all this time? You know, from a good uh, year, year and a half, two years. And remember that what we see in the Gospel accounts is basically like cliff notes. It, Reader's Digest is summary of, of all the hours and hours and hours that Yeshua spent with the disciples going from here, there, and everywhere. You know, they didn't get in their Learjet and fly somewhere. They, they walked. And so, as a rabbi would do in those days, uh, as they were walking, Yeshua taught them and explained to them who he was. Um, however, not giving Philip a hard time, the other disciples really didn't get it until, until after Pentecost, until after Shavuot, when the Spirit of God came and, and opened their eyes and, and they had you know, their eyes open and they got a clear understanding of who Yeshua is. Um, so, so this is Peter, uh, excuse me, this is Philip, uh, a guy from a Hellenistic Jewish background, uh, a working man, uh, someone who's very committed. Yeshua says, come, he comes. He goes, gets uh, Nathaniel. Um, he's someone who knows scriptures, backwards and forwards. Um, so this is, this is what we know about him. Now when we come to Acts, uh, Acts chapter 6, this is where I think most people... Um, know about Philip and let's read uh, verses 1 to 6 and uh, let's see who can we pick on yes Michaela Before the emissaries and after praying, they laid hands on them. 
uh, why don't you continue another couple of verses? The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem greatly multiplied. Even a great number of the Gohanim were, were becoming obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, full of grace... That, that's fine. Why don't you pause there? Now, did you notice something about the, the list of names, the seven names? Greek. All of them are Greek. Yeah. Okay. No, no great shock. Why? Why did you need to have Hellenized Jews being selected here? Because they were the ones that were being neglected. The Hellenists were the ones complaining that they were being neglected. And and by the way, um, what a good representation! What would seem like fair representation? Yeah. What, what you have here is the problem of growth, explosive growth, where all of a sudden you, you, you go from 120 to several thousands. And, and you know what happens when you have uh, people from different backgrounds. Guess what happens? Uh, you're chosen. Hmm? You're chosen. You're chosen. You're chosen. You're not chosen. Um, and uh, look, you may have heard the saying, uh, you have two Jews, you have three opinions. Uh, and remember that the, 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 the Jewish people who were local, i.e. from Jerusalem and Judea, um, had one kind of mindset. The Jews who were Hellenistic, who came from abroad, had another mindset as well. Uh, why do you have so many widows? Well, you, you do. You know, uh, and Mary, I'll get back to you. I'm sorry. Um, and so you have a whole bunch of Hellenistic Jews. Now, why is that a problem only for the Hellenistic Jewish widows? I wouldn't say they were outcast. But they were not Jewish. Yes, they were Jews. They were Hellenized, Greek-speaking Jews. They didn't have their family there. They were not local. They didn't have a, a strong uh, supportive structure. And, and by the way, they were neglected. It was one of these overlooked. Well, we're taking care of ours. Well, typical human nature. What do you do? You take care of yourself and your family. Everybody else says, well, we'll get to you when we can. Um, not a great situation, um, and and what do your translations? How do your translations describe the the mood at the time? Were they in competition? Well, it was not competition. They were grumbling. Okay, are we talking about some nice, polite conversation? No. Serious question. And if, if you were here several weeks ago, we talked about the difference between complaining and murmuring. That at some point you go from just complaining, things are difficult, to God, what are you doing here, etc., etc. Uh, you, must, you must have me on your crosshairs, and you brought me out of Egypt to kill me, and so on and so forth. You, uh, what, my point is, things are getting hot here. 
Um, and you have, with thousands of people, you have the potential for serious disruption. Now, again, put uh, put yourself in this in the situation of the time. What has been going on there besides the situation with the widows? This is the book of Acts, after all. Okay, huh? Persecution. Well, not so much at this point. Uh, explosive growth okay uh, the kingdom of God okay what do you anticipate happening when you have the kingdom of God growing explosively hmm? uh, what kind of issues needs grow hmm? the, the needs of people grow Okay, let's switch from the human to the supernatural here. The power of God is poured out supernaturally. Guess who is not going to be happy here? The enemy. Yeah. Um, when you study the history of revivals, you'll find that after the initial excitement, that what would typically happen is you have all kinds of bizarreness, false teaching, and other forms of difficulty come in, in including, by the way, the Messianic revival. Um, you didn't have that in the early years because there was so much excitement to, to see God doing awesome things. Um, understandable that that you have human nature and, and uh, things get difficult. Now, how could they have handled that? Good point. They could have gotten seriously sidetracked and missed what God was doing, and what would have happened to the uh, the momentum of the kingdom of God at this point? It would have stopped. Stopped or definitely slowed. And instead, what you find at the end of these verses, what is the result of what took place here? More people. Uh, a young lady who read... The last couple of verses. Michaela. Up until seven? Yeah. Well, it kept on spreading anyhow. And it says it greatly multiplied. Greatly multiplied. Greatly multiplied. And, and, and you have Kohanim, you have priests who had come into the kingdom. The guys who were completely opposed to Yeshua become his followers. Now, this is after you had the big hula baloo with you know, the, the disagreement between the Hellenistic Jews and, and the, the Judean Jews and so on and so forth, something happens and the, the result is the kingdom of God takes off even more. So this for me, as I was reading this, was such a clear example of how God can use conflict that we absolutely hate uh, for the growing of his kingdom. Why? If it's done according to his way. Now I'm going to preach here for a minute, then I'll stop, I promise. In all the years that, that I've been in ministry, the one issue that I've seen over and over and over and over again, where believers break their teeth, is on Yeshua's plain teaching 
when it comes to how to deal with conflict. Yeshua says, when there's conflict, do this. And he says it not just once or twice, three times. Very clear. This is how I expect you to do it. What do people do? Well, God, forget it. I'm hurting too much. So-and-so is a bum. They will never change. I don't want to do it. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine. He's a pastor in, in a charismatic church. Guess what he was saying? The same thing. We just hate to follow Yeshua in this particular situation. But if we do, or as we do, God can do amazing things in terms of building character in us, in terms of teaching us how to obey and follow, in terms of strengthening unity among us, and the kingdom takes off. And that's what we see here. Um, so, what do they do? They come complaining. Okay, well, complaining is... They come to the uh, apostles and say, we have a problem. So, do the, the, the apostles say, we're too busy, forget it, we don't want to hear about it. What did they say? They want to continue doing what they feel called to do, which is to preach. We've got, we've got our job to do, but there is a real need here. It needs to be addressed. Choose. Who are you going to choose? The people who have MBAs? Who are what? They were walking to walk with Jesus, so they knew that he saw people relaying to them what he learned of Yeshua's action and his, you know, how he taught and how he trying to let it be continued. Specifically here, Mary, it's it's speaking about men who were filled with the Spirit of God and with wisdom. Now, in for many for many folks, when you say spirit filled, you assume that you're talking about the supernatural manifestations, um, which is really not not it's the case some of the time. Other times it's not. Uh, again, coming back to before before Acts, the Holy Spirit was active. Can you remember a fellow named Bezalel? Yes. Who was Bezalel? Exodus chapter 31. Let's turn to it. Wow. Verses there. Okay. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by the name of uh, Bazel, Bazel, the son of uh, Uri, son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with the ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, 
to, de to devise artistic design to work in gold, silver, bronze, and cutting stone, stones for setting, and in carving wood to work in every, in every craft. And behold, I have appointed him with him uh, a holy up. Yeah. Why don't you Why don't you pause there, recorder? So here you have a guy who's spirit filled. Huh? For craftsmanship. For craftsmanship. You bet. And so what we find with with Stephen, uh, with Philip and the other men, they were filled with the spirit of God to to carry out a job. They were shamashim or deacons. Uh, because there was a real need and you had to have someone who was who had wisdom and skill not just natural but supernatural ability to bring people together so that you don't have this uh, ongoing conflict going on and they're selected we don't really see exactly what they do and how they did it and so on and so forth what we do know is that this problem is never mentioned again. You, you, never, you never see the issue of the Hellenistic widows mentioned again in a book of Acts, which means that whatever these guys did took care of their problem. So here he is one of the Shamashim. Please don't minimize the fact that all he had to do was collect money and buy food and distribute it. Uh, there was a lot more to it. There was unity involved here. All right. Um, chapter 8 of Acts. He was the only one disciple. Hmm? He was the only one disciple. Out of all disciples, he was the only one. Uh, in, in this, with this bunch, yeah. Right. Um, Acts chapter 8. Um, let's see verses uh, uh, verses 1 to, to 13 let's, let's read that Judy would you read that sure on that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him but Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in the city. Can we go on? Uh, to 13. 13, yeah. Now for some time a man named Shimon had practiced sor sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is the divine power known as the great power. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God, and the name of Messiah Yeshua, they were baptized, both men and women. Shimon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. 
Now again, remember, this is the guy who was collecting money and, and giving food to widows. Um, what's going on here? He goes to Samaria. What was wrong with that picture? Jews didn't go to Samaria. Jews did not go to Samaria. The Samaritans were considered half-breeds who had cockamamie doctrine. They had their own version. There's a Samaritan Pentateuch, Samaritan Torah, and they had their own version of Messiah and so on and so forth. Um, so why go to Samaria? Well, Messiah said they would go there. Messiah said, go into all the world and preach. In, he said, including Judea and Samaria. Including Judea and Samaria. Back in Acts chapter 1. Right. Did anybody else go to Samaria? No. Why did Philip go to Samaria? Well, Philip was cosmopolitan in that uh, he, he was familiar with hanging around people who are different. Unlike the folks from Jerusalem and Judea. So... He was God's man for that particular occasion. Now, what drove him to go to Samaria? Yeah. Well, just I'm um, the same here. Um, it says in this um, you know, on that, you know, on that day, a great persecution arose against Messiah's community in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the emissaries. Right. So I'm, um, I'm just a sort of, a, I'm just thinking, they scattered just wherever they could. Right. So I'm thinking Philip just happened to scatter to Samaria. Yes, he just happened to go to Samaria. However, um, you're right. Uh, but w with Philip, it seems to be a deliberate thing. But it's he, he deliberately went to the main city. Right. Right? But I guess that seemed like an easy place to escape to, scattered to or whatever. Well, it's not either or, it's both and. He goes someplace to find refuge, but at the same time, he goes specifically with the purpose in mind to share the gospel, to share the good news. Could uh, it be as simple as he was a lad? You mean led by the Spirit? Yeah. Wow, okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, he was very active in, in the Spirit. I mean, Absolutely. the miracles being done. Absolutely. So, And he didn't have this closed mindset of a lot of Jew... We can't associate with riffraff. Yeah. But he knew better. Right. Part of the picture also is, again, showing us that God uses the difficult circumstances um, to expand the kingdom. Difficult circumstances with, with the conflict, difficult circumstances with the fact that there's horrendous persecution. Joanne. Um. I just have noticed in Acts, or we all have noticed, that times when it says, so-and-so was led by the Spirit to and led by the Spirit here, it doesn't talk about the people being led as such. In other words, they don't specifically say they were led. Um, yet. Well, yet. No, <laughs> I'm not saying that everything he did, he just thought, huh, uh, A, B, C, which one should I do? I don't mean that. But right. what I'm saying is, when there are certain instances where specifically it says, you know, I was prevented from the Spirit, I was led by the Spirit, the Spirit told me to go here. Here it was like there was a, it's more to your point. Something happened, there was persecution, they scattered and in that God you know, used and worked with each person. And that's and that's yeah. the folks, that's the miracle of what takes place collaboratively between us and God. 
it's not as if it's not as if God says, "Okay, lift your foot and move." We have things that have been put in us from Scripture, from the relationship with God, and we are inclined to do those things. And then God uses that, and there are specific times when God says, "No, I want you to do this, not that." Um, so amazing stuff happens here in in Samaria with this guy Philip. Um, the power of God. I mean, this is, you know, especially this guy Simon, who who is a uh, a sorcerer um, with great great uh, occultic power. Uh, the power of God knocks him off his feet. Huh? And he obviously is jealous, but the point is God grabs even someone someone like um, like Simon. And it continues. I mean, that's the amazing thing. Uh, come to, to uh, verse 26 here in chapter 8. And let's read uh, read that. Uh, Joanne, you look like you have it. I'm reading 26 to where? 34. Chapter 8. Yeah, I have that. <coughs> okay. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south on the road going down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. And behold, an Ethiopian eunuch, an official who was responsible for all the treasure of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, had travelled to Jerusalem to worship, and was now returning. Sitting in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. The rock said to Philip, Go, catch up with this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and said, Do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he opens not his mouth. Opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who shall recount his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch replied to Philip, Please tell me, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Oh, do, am I supposed to read 35? Uh, yes. Then Philip opened his mouth, <laughs> and beginning with this scripture, he proclaimed the good news about Yeshua. So yeah. Now, a question for you: to to come back to Samaria for for a minute, um, why were there those amazing miracles performed? You know, evil spirits came out of out of people, shrieking and and paralytics were healed, you know, people who are lame. It validates the message. Hmm? It validates the message. Validate the message. Okay? And, and we confuse that because we sometimes want to see the power of God because we want to see the power of God. But Scripture is very clear that the power of God always has to play, uh, not second fiddle, but has to play a supportive role to validate the word of God. That's what Peter says in Acts chapter 2, that Yeshua was validated through the miracles. In other words, what, what he spoke was validated by power. And this is a basic reality. If 
if you hear the Word of God, not just a teaching or preaching, but if you hear a Word of God, if it is the Word of God, it will change you. There will be power associated with it. Otherwise, it's not the Word of God. Amen. Because the Word of God is alive and actively powerful, sharper than two-edged sword. The Word of God always has to be validated with the power of God. And it definitely is in Samaria. It was in Yeshua's ministry, Samaria, and elsewhere. Now, let's talk about the... We may run a few minutes over, so please give me chesed. Uh, let's talk about the Ethiopian. Uh, what do you think about this guy? Very rich. Very rich, okay. You Anything? cannot buy a scroll without money. Alright, before we talk about the scroll, what else was he besides rich? Huh? We had a high-level job, if you will. In charge of the treasury? Yeah, I would call that pretty high-level. And very trustworthy. Very trustworthy. Now, what ethnic variety was he? Ethiopian. Ethiopian. Yeah. What is he doing coming to Jerusalem? Partaking in the feast. Great. He's coming to worship. Now, what does that tell you about what kind of a Gentile he was? Was he a prophet? <laughs> Uh, not necessarily proselyte, someone who had converted, but definitely a God-fearer, someone who had uh, rejected the, the, the gods and goddesses of, of his country, the Ethiopia. Again, remember, you come from Ethiopia to Jerusalem, that's not like getting in your Learjet and, and flying. Yeah. Um, do you know the history of um, we know that the Queen of Sheba came and visited Solomon and right. so there was that knowledge of right. the God of, of around Isaac and Yaakov. Do we have do we have a history of uh, Candace at that point? What relationship she had? Did she have a new relationship to Sheba? I mean how did she or did the, 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 the I know. Or the Ethiopian, do we have any history about how he would have heard about um, the God of we do not. Uh, you're looking at you're looking at about a thousand year difference between the Queen of Sheba and and Candace. Um, I haven't seen any evidence from history. Uh, this guy is one of a kind. It, but somehow he had this knowledge of it. But God scattered the Jews everywhere in the world. He, he did, he did, and it's possible... Uh, there could have been Ethiopian synagogue. It's, it's possible that, or maybe more likely, as, as the uh, guy in charge of the treasury, he's, he's had business dealings with people in Israel. I mean, we can speculate till the cows come home. Uh, what, what is incredible about this guy is he gets a scroll. Now, we don't know very many Jewish people who had access to scrolls. Where did you have the scrolls? You had the scrolls in the synagogue. Um, how does this guy get a hold of a scroll? I don't and know. And he's able to read it on top of that. Yeah. Able he to read Hebrew. Hebrew. He's able to read, to read it in Hebrew. Now, Ethiopian and Hebrew, there's some relationship. Um, Amharic and, and Hebrew, there's some relationship, but they're not the same. Sir, I mean, there's also a connection. No one mentioned uh, the Kushite 
as well as Ethiopia, right? Those are, those are kind of one and the same. I don't yeah. They are. In Greek, I think that the word might have been interchangeable, so you've got to yeah. you get a line from Moses, perhaps, as well. Folks, and by the way, the Ethiopians make a big deal about the Queen of Sheba and so on and so forth. Uh, I, I would just as soon leave argument from silence. Silent. Silent. Uh, the truth is, we don't know. Uh, it is pretty amazing. I, I find this guy pretty amazing that he, A, he has a heart to come to Jerusalem to worship God. Um, he, he gets a hold of a scroll he somehow reads Hebrew uh, and at this point when Philip comes to him he has gone through chapters 1 through 52 yes <laughs> He's come. I it was amazing that Philip could catch up to a chariot running that sounds pretty spectacular in itself <laughs> we don't know Philip's age, but but remember that it's fleet of foot. Huh? It was fleet of foot. It's more than that. Uh, the Holy Spirit is involved here, and I mean, there's a bunch of stuff that's pretty amazing here. Um, and it, he just so happens to be in Isaiah 53. What a beautiful picture, huh? You know, and, and I, I think as much as anything is the fact that God can get through to all kinds of people at all kinds of times. You know, we have this notion of God can only speak to so-and-so if they hear this specific, you know, the, the four spiritual laws or the five messianic spiritual laws and, and so on and so forth. Uh, the point is God is creative. And somehow he gets a hold of this guy. Um, and and it's not that just that he's reading and you know, and and he's doing a brain thing. You know, intellectual reading. He obviously has a heart, because Philip uh, leaps, you know, six foot into the chariot, and uh, and explains explains the good news of Yeshua. What is this guy's response? Why? Getting immersed because it was a hot day and, and he needed to be cooled off somewhere. Remember, folks, that immersion was a sign of commitment. Yeshua said, get immersed, you get immersed. And that's the rest of, of what you do to follow Yeshua. And so he, an Ethiopian high up, is committed to following Yeshua. Uh, is it that he understood the Jewish practice of immersion? Because in the passage it doesn't say, and Philip told him, okay, now, if you believe what I'm saying, let's get immersed. He just said, what prevents you yeah, from getting immersed? So is it that he had an understanding of you know, discipleship and that sort of stuff? We don't know how long the conversation took. And who is Enoch? Huh? Who is Enoch? Eunuch. Uh, eunuch is, is the guy who was castrated to, to, serve, in, to serve in the Queen's um, court, Queen's service. So this was third person? Huh? That was third no, person. No, no, that, no. that was the Ethiopian. That was the Ethiopian. Oh. Yeah. And it's not that, there, that that was always the case, but eunuch was someone who was committed to serving the Queen. 
So, in any event, here you have this guy, um, and who's the one who shares the good news with this, with him? Philip, the Shamash, you know, the, the guy involved in the schlepping ministry. Uh, hmm? Well, we don't know how old or, or young he is, but, but that's, that's pretty amazing. My point in saying, in emphasizing the fact that Philip was one of the Shamashim, one of the deacons, is that Philip doesn't say, uh, I don't do windows. <laughs> you know, th this is my job, I only do this, I've been called, equipped, gifted to do such and such, I don't do this. Uh, I don't see that in Scripture. Hang on, Mary. So, so the point is, it gets even better. Let's continue with the rest of, of uh, the chapter, and we'll f hopefully finish here. Um, We're in 36. Yeah, go ahead, Michael. As they traveled along the road, <clears throat> they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be immersed? Um, and he ordered the chariot to stop. They both, Philip, then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip immersed him. Do you want me to keep going? Let, let me just pause real quick. Okay. The, the some um, some folks believe that you don't need anybody else to participate in, in the immersion, um, that you can just do it yourself, maybe, but it, it, the evidence is that someone needs to immerse you. All right, please continue. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of Adonai suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again but went on his way rejoicing. Uh, Philip, however, appeared at Azotus, if I'm saying that right, yes, I'm sure that, that's not the correct Hebrew, and traveled, um, uh, and traveled ab about uh, preaching the good news in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Okay, that's fine, Michael. Thank you. Uh, that, like I said, this, is, this gets better and better. Um, he, he runs up, he does his thing, and then the Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, snatches him, and he ends up 20 miles away. Gaza to Azotos, which is Ashdod, is about 20 miles. How did he get there? Um, it's a mystery. Yeah, it's one of the mysteries. Um, well, it had to be by the power of the Lord, the Holy Spirit. It wasn't by Satan. It had to be the Lord. Well, considering the fact that this was the Spirit of God, then I would say, yeah, that's a safe bet. <laughs> uh, it's funny how the scripture never mentions how Philip says about well, his traveling. 
No, 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 it does say he goes on his way rejoicing. It's like, wow, that was quite the trip. Huh? Ethiopian, but it doesn't say how Philip felt suddenly being snatched away and next thing finding himself 20 miles away in Egypt. No. Well, who's to say that was his first experience doing that? So, I mean, we don't know. <laughs> Anyways, um, and then he preaches uh, till he gets to Caesarea, which is another 40 miles. By the way, Caesarea, Caesarea, is where Philip ends up uh, parking, living. Um, let's finish in, in chapter 21. And uh, verse 7, 8 to 9. Rachel, would you read that for us, dear? And we continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemais, where we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Okay. Doesn't say much about Philip other than he is a married man who has daughters who prophesy. And how is Philip described? He's an evangelist. The proclaimer of good news. Pro- my translation says. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Proclaimer of the good news. Now, does that mean that he stopped anything having to do with schlepping and collecting money? And so, probably. Uh, the point is basic principle and I'll finish with this Yeshua said if you remember the parable of the talents uh, there was a guy who, who was given uh, one, five talents two talents and one talent and to the two guys who had the two talents and five talents who worked their tails off Yeshua said well good and faithful servant you've been faithful in a few things What's the rest? Enter your master's joy. Now, before we get there, I will put you in charge of many things and turn into your master's joy. And that's what we see with Philip. Uh, you see this guy, businessman, or, or uh, worker. Uh, Yeshua said, come. He comes. Um, he gets called on to, to help with the widows. He helps with the widows. Um, and then, and then it continues. So, so this is such a wonderful example for us. Not that we necessarily expect to be picked up and lifted and brought to Colorado Springs, but uh, yes, ma'am. Um, I was wondering if we could just talk about the eunuch again. How did the eunuch have the notion of being immersed? How did he even know what that meant? Uh, Again, I think that that was one of the questions. Um, we don't know how long the conversation took. When Philip was in the chariot, how long did, did they did, did they uh, uh, did they talk? Guaranteed, if if he was drawn to accepting Yeshua, and Philip would say, "Oh, by the way." Mary had it. It does say that Philip, I hate to say preached at him, but preached, taught him what, you know, taught him. 
what he said it doesn't say. But it, I'm sure it was a plan of salvation and, and the things that they were proclaiming the good news. So all of it was a package. Salvation was also a package with immersion back then. They well, were given together. Well, and, and you don't see in Acts what you see today, that no. someone comes to know Yeshua and 30 years later they say, oh, I need to undergo immersion. Now, Mary. Well, going back to what I wanted to mention earlier, is Philip might have been influenced by John the Baptist in seeing his work for the kingdom and knowing, knowing that he promises that the Elijah will come before the Messiah. The truth, Mary, we really don't know that Philip was one of John the Baptist's I'm not saying that. I'm saying that he's heard of him and he saw the work being done for the preparation of Messiah. Possibly. Uh, like I said, there's a bunch a bunch that we don't know. But in any event, um, next week we hope to dive into Stephen, who is significantly different. And so please read uh, chapter 7 and 8. And... Uh, Rabbi David, would you finish for us with with the word of prayer, please? Lord, thank you for this opportunity to look at your word. Thank you for what you preserved for us, Lord. May we latch on to those things that you have uh, revealed to us in your word. May we each be uh, willing to follow the call that you put before us and willing to be faithful in, in the little things you put in our lives that we would be entrusted with more. Lord, so we just uh, thank you again for this time. In Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen.